Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Cube. Maximize calf performance and health at grass by optimizing the function of the rumen. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program with John O'Connor. Later, reaction to the reopening of the Chinese market for Irish beef. VAT refunds are questioned, upcoming sheep events. But first, our sponsor Dairy Gold confirms December milk price. Dairy Gold has increased the December quoted milk price by 1.5 cents per litre to 37 cents per litre based on standard constituents of 3.3% protein and 3.6% butterfat, inclusive of sustainability and quality bonuses and VAT. The December milk price equates to an average December farm gate milk price of 46.9 cents per litre, based on average December milk solids achieved by Dairy Gold's milk suppliers. The quoted milk price for December, based on EU standard constituents of 3.4% protein and 4.2% butterfat, is 40.4 cents per litre. A company spokesperson commented, quote, that global milk markets have continued to return increased value in recent weeks as supply and demand have rebalanced. Future markets continue to look positive, but sentiment will remain cautious until we get further into the spring. The Dairy Gold Board will continue to monitor closely markets and review milk price on a month-by-month basis. And that statement from Dairy Gold, our sponsor, confirming the December milk price. The IFA president, Francie Gorman, has welcomed the announcement that Irish beef exports to China will resume. ICSA Beef Chair Edmund Graham has said the resumption of beef exports to China is welcome, but stressed that farmers must see a dividend as a result this time. On Wednesday, 17th of January, an IFA delegation led by President Francie Gorman appeared before the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine regarding the threat posed by spruce bark beetles to the health of Irish forests. Francie Gorman said, We must avoid the mistakes made with ash dieback when facing up to the growing threat of the spruce bark beetles. The Register of Political Parties has given notice of his intention to approve an application by the new Farmers' Alliance Party to become a registered political party eligible to stand candidates in Ireland's Doyle, local and European Parliament elections. The decision will become effective after a 21-day appeal period or the outcome of any such appeal. Listeners may read more about the policies of Farmers' Alliance at the following website www.farmersalliance.ie, all lowercase. Next in our programme, results from the recent Bandon ploughing match. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Miss Caroline Jennings, PRO for the Cork West Ploughing Association. First of all, Caroline, welcome to the programme. I understand you have an update on ploughing results from Cork West. Results from Sunday, 14th of January. The 14th of January. Bandon Ploughing Association held their annual ploughing match and the results are as follows. Senior conventional, first, Kieran Coakley, 119 marks. Second, Joe Kirby, 115 marks. Third, Jim Gray, 114 marks. And fourth, John Murphy, 112 marks. And fifth, Johnny O'Donovan, 103 marks. 
intermediate, there was a joint first between Stanley Dean and David Walsh with 100 marks, and third, Jackie O'Driscoll with 99 marks. The under 28th, first, James O'Sullivan, 112 marks, second, Noel Nine, 104 marks, third, Niall O'Driscoll, 97 marks, fourth, Aidan O'Donovan, 96 marks. In the under 21 conventional, first, James Jennings, 107 marks, and second, Jack Witchley, 96 marks. The three fur conventional, First, Kevin O'Driscoll, 107 marks. Second, Matthew Coakley, 102 marks. And third, Cyril Maguire, 74 marks. The ladies, first, Katie Hayes, 101 marks. And second, Ellen Nine, with 99 marks. Mokra, first, Keen Harrington, 84 marks. Second, Eva Farrell, 75 marks. The senior reversible, first, Cher Coakley, 129 marks. Second, Liam O'Driscoll, 122 marks. Third, Michael Witchley, 119 marks. And fourth, Tommy McCarthy, 103 marks. The under 28, first, Conor O'Farrell, with 86 marks. And second, Fleur Witchley, 83 marks. The three for reversible, first, Podrick Walsh, 109 marks. Second, Patrick Buckley, at 94 marks. Third, Ger Lawler, 91 marks. Fourth, Willie Lyons, 73 marks. The vintage senior hydraulic, first, Thomas Dusang, 101 marks. Second, John O'Neill, 95 marks. Third, Jer Collins, 92 marks. Fourth, Phelan Cotter, 90 marks. Fifth, Dennis Commons, 82 marks. Sixth, Vincent Bennett, 60 marks. And seventh, Sean McCarthy, 58 marks. The combined hydraulic one competitor, Andy Mahan, and he got 77 marks. The trailer vintage, first, John Wolfe, 99 marks. And second, Enos Horan, 95 marks. The single furrow, first, Gordon Jennings, 88 marks, and second, Trevor Fleming, 86 marks. The next ploughing match to be held, um, that is weather committing, is Kilmeen on tomorrow, Sunday, the 21st of January. And this is being held on the lands of John and Declan Bushmer, Gera Rathmore, P85Y319. Entries are to be with Jared Collins, 087-775-1. 001. That number again, 087-775-1001 by 11am today, Saturday the 20th. Ploughing will commence at 11am sharp. That's it. Thank you very much indeed, Miss Caroline Jennings, PRO for the Cork West Ploughing Association. Thank you, Caroline, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you very much, Jan. We're joined on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme by Mr. Fellam O'Neill, international markets expert with the Irish Farmers Journal. First of all, Felham, welcome to the programme. Now, great developments on the international market regarding Irish beef. The China ban on our beef has been lifted. What's the background to that development? Well, John, uh, yeah, it is just a nice, good news beef story to start the new year. Well, I suppose it starts now, but still we're in January. Um, basically, Ireland's beef exports to China, it has really been a stop-start business up until now. Um, we got approval back in 2018 to start exports to China. That was suspended then in May 2020 when there was a case of atypical BSE. That's the random uh, BSE. Uh, now, just to digress for a moment, random BSE is something that's recognised by the World Animal Health Organisation as a rare occurrence, and it doesn't affect the health status. And it's not an issue for any country in the world apart from China. 
China, if you have reported any case of BSE, including a random one, then you have to suspend uh, exports. So we had one of those in May 2020. Exports were suspended, and we only got resumed again at the start of last year, January 23. And uh, all went well up until November when there was another case, another random case of BSE. And um, exports were suspended again. Now, the good news this time it has only taken a couple of months to get the issue resolved and the assurances given. And that compares the last time, like it took over, it took two and a half years uh, to get the previous one lifted. So hopefully there is something of a change of approach there because these will recur from time to time every few years. Like, And it's not just Ireland that has happened to, it's also happened to Brazil. Uh, they've had the exports suspended twice in the last five years as well. Uh, now, there's a big difference. Ireland sends a few thousand tonnes of beef to China when we're approved and the, the doors are open. Uh, Brazil uh, sends a million tonnes of beef per year to China. So uh, if they're out of the marketplace, then there's a real problem. Ireland can be out of that market and not really be missed by the importers on the other side. So we would be hoping that the model or whatever scrutiny they've put in place to readmit Brazil is now in place for Ireland as well. And if a future problem arises, that there will be a very temporary interruption, if indeed any. Um, and that's, uh, as I say, that's probably the, 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 the good news element of the, of the beef industry this week, John. Is there a specific type of Irish beef which the Chinese are opening their market for, fellow uh, very good question. Uh, there is. There's quite a narrow specification uh, for supplying beef to China. The uh, First and foremost, it has to be from cattle under 30 months of age, and it can only be for fresh, boneless beef. Now, that's a little bit of a pity, because, uh, and they won't take, we cannot supply offals either. China are big buyers of offals, and they're also big buyers of bone-in beef uh, from South American countries, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay in particular. Uh, so we don't have access to the full suite, if you like, of uh, beef cuts, but we have a decent portion were approved for uh, fresh boneless beef from cattle under 30 months of age. And I know it would be the ambition that whenever we get to... Uh, you know, established for a while in the market and we have uh, two or three years perhaps of uninterrupted service. Uh, I would imagine that the, that the Department of Agriculture would look to probably extend that specification uh, that we could bring awful supplies into that we might bring bone-in beef and maybe even get the beef uh, age for cattle lifted uh, from 30 months up. Uh, that again, of course, opens up an entirely different debate, you know, because I know the ambition is to try and get the uh, the, the age of slaughter reduced. Uh, so maybe there'll not be as big a push there, but certainly there's other cuts and other business we could be doing there that would have further potential, if you like, from the point of view of Irish beef exporters and, of course, Irish farmers who supply the exporters. Bearing in mind the developments of recent years, I think we should be curbing our enthusiasm Despite this opening of the market, I understand Irish beef, our frozen bonus beef, will face very stiff competition. You're going into global markets there, you're going into the biggest exporter, you're going head-to-head with the biggest exporters in the world, uh, and that's not a, an easy business to be in. But on the other hand, John, if you look at, and, and I've been studying the, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, they produce a 10-year view of where demand is likely to be for different products in 10 years' time. And, uh, you know, they, they do estimate that in 2032, the world will require 6 million tonnes of beef more than it did in 2022. 
And most of that growth, that extra demand, is predicted to come from Asian countries. China's, of course, one of those. Vietnam's a growing market, Indonesia. But, you know, uh, I think in the context of Irish beef exports, we're still almost half of what we produce, or half of what we export still goes to the UK, despite Brexit and everything. Uh, Most of the rest goes to mainland Europe. But if we're looking at China and we're looking at Asian markets, we need to be taking a 10-year view there. The the work and the approvals that we're getting today will hopefully deliver results, and I don't expect anything significant out of it this year or indeed next year. But I would be hoping that in 10 years' time we would be well-established in that marketplace, just as we are at the minute for dairy products and for pig meat products, for pork products. So, you know, I think we need to think of China as a long-term project, not something that's going to deliver uh, a boost uh, in the next six weeks or indeed in 2024 for that matter. So certainly in the longer term, a very firm foundation for guarded optimism and look at the real potential when we build up enough trust with the Chinese authorities. I think that's the way to sum it up, really. That is to say, it's one, uh, it's very essential to have it. And again, from the point of view uh, of having customers, it's all about having options. If we're totally dependent on the UK market and anything goes wrong there, then you have a major problem. But if you have other market alternatives that you can switch to, if a problem arises in one market, I think that's what gives us the best spread. And I certainly know if you're talking to anyone in the exporting industry, they would be saying that look, the, the one thing that government can do for us is deliver market options. Uh, it's not, and there's no point in promising that just because you open a market in a particular country today that we will be switching all our production and all our exports there. They won't, but it will be. They will be monitoring the prices in that market, and if we find the prices in that market are better consistently than the markets that we're in the minute, middle in at the minute. You will see then over a period of time a switch of more product going that way. Uh, that's as opposed simply how the the market for agri food and indeed any other commodity product works. A piece of very good news on the horizon there for Irish beef. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Phelan O'Neill, international markets expert with the Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you, Phelan, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. We are joined on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme by Senator Tim Lombard, Fine Gael. You've been approached by a number of farmers expressing concern about VAT refunds. Yeah, this is an issue that's emerged in the last three or four months where the revenue commissioners have taken a different interpretation to regulation that's there literally since the mid-1970s, which gives farmers the opportunity who were unregistered for VAT to claim back VAT on certain items that were so-called fixed items. Um, they would have been considered to be fencing um, all these issues. But there's a, um, an issue now after emerging about issues regarding automatic scrapers, milking parlours, and meal bins, bull tanks, loads of issues around those actual applications and how they're going through the actual revenue commissioners. And farmers have seen their um, what they've proposed to get to that back on rejected by the revenue in the last few months. These are items that they've traditionally have always actually drawn down to VAT on, and it's really significant for some farmers. And farmers are using this income as a kind of this VAT rebate in months when they might be slack of income. So now they've been refused by the revenue commissioners, and it's kind of bizarre in so many ways because there's been no change to the actual regulation. Uh, the regulation has been there since the 1970s. It's a change in interpretation by the revenue commissioners on this interpretation itself. And the knock-on implication is that the farmers now are out of significant um, 
and I mean a significant um, amount of money in some cases. And like it could be 30.5% of a project in some areas or over 23% in others, depending on the fact that it's applicable to what was being done on the project. So farmers are just bewildered and very, very upset by this change in interpretation. So what we've done now at the agricultural committee level is that we've invited the revenue commissioners to come before us to inform us of why they've t- taken this change of interpretation and what they plan to do with this engagement with the farming community itself. Because there was no engagement. People didn't realise these were changed until they got their actual fast rebate and refused and sent back to them. So we need to get clarity from the Revenue Commissioners. And I'm hoping now that the Revenue Commissioners will accept our invitation to come before the Agricultural Committee so we can have a reasonable point of debate with them about why they've changed this interpretation and hopefully they'll give us some clarity about going back and changing the system to make sure that items that were always been drawn down can still be drawn down. Like, to be quite honest, my view here is that they were either wrong for the last five months or they're wrong for the last 40 years. I'm not sure exactly where they're wrong, but we need to get clarity from them because it is a very, very significant issue. And Tim, back on Monday, January 15th, I understand that you actually met with members of the Agricultural Committee, and at that, the issue arose and uh, a certain action was proposed. Yeah, at the Agricultural Meeting met last Monday, we discussed this issue in detail, and like we understand the actual frustration of the farming community, and also in the farming business sector, um, whether you're producing bull tanks, meal bins, you know, agricultural equipment, dairy plant equipment, you're all affected by this uncertainty in the market. And what we've seen, unfortunately, is that there's been a pause on so many of these projects because the farming community are looking for certainty from the revenue commissioners, which they haven't got, regarding what they can claim back. So we discussed all that in detail last Monday at the actual uh, meeting itself. And after the back of that lengthy discussion, we now decide to move forward, actually invite the revenue commissioners towards to, to our meeting and I think that'll be a very important meeting because it'll be in public and give the opportunity for everyone to listen and to watch and to hear exactly what the Revenue Commission's point of view here is. And it's quite bizarre, like, this actual regulation came in before we entered the European um, Union at the time. So it's there since literally the early 1970s. And we're now having a situation that they've changed the interpretation literally only a few months ago in this regulation itself which hasn't been amended to any major degree in the last few years. In fact, the only amendment to it was in 2012, where they brought in renewable energy into it. So, like, realistically, there's been no change to this um, system of that. It's only been, been the interpretation by the department or by the revenue commissioners in that has been the big issue. And this is impacting on cash flow. In your press release, you said some farmers who did not receive milk checks in January or February may have held back VAT receipts for cash flow purposes. Absolutely. Look, I think people are managing their own financial situation over a 12-month period. And many farmers I've spoken to have given me the assurance that how they've been running their operation is that they've been taking the opportunity to keep cash flow going on 12-month basis and they're using the VAT reclaim for that month to make sure they've income. Now they're unsure whether or not they'll actually even put in those VAT reclaims because they're not sure what'll happen. And like that's putting the farming community and putting the entire industry in 
a kind of state of flux because they just can't plan going forward. And it's very important to note that there was no consultation here. This only literally came out of the blue. Farmers began realising their reclaims was being refused. Eventually it began building momentum and again we came to the situation that we had to raise the Agricultural Committee and go as far as inviting the Revenue Commissioners before us. So, like, it is affecting farmers on the ground. It's a very, very tight time of the year when you don't have milk checks coming through and you have huge expenses on farms. So, like, think that farmers who might have been prudent and kept this back for this kind of so-called rainy day now are having a scenario that they don't even know whether or not they're actually going to get the refund, which they have been getting for literally decades on this regulation. We're busy now with the calving period, so the items involved will include, I understand, automatic calf feeders, meal bins, bulk tanks and barriers and sheds. Absolutely, the clarification is very much required. And the farming community have always been upgrading their yards, upgrading their milk plants, upgrading their actual farm to make sure that it's a inappropriate standards like huge issues have emerged over the last years to make sure you have right amounts of storage, make sure that farming has become more sustainable going forward. And I think, you know, now having an issue that the people who've been investing in their actual farms now potentially won't have the opportunity to claim back the VAT. And it's quite significant, like um, a 23% or 13% um, cost to a project. It's huge money. And look, I've been talking to banks in particular in the last few days about this as well, which are really concerned about this issue because now they must take into consideration when you're doing a project whether or not the 13% VAT or the 23.5% VAT in the the project will now be drawn down. So it is a really significant issue for the farming community. The knock-on implication has just been a pause on so many projects. And farmers aren't planning to spend until we get clarity regarding how we can actually find a solution here. And that will have a huge impact on the industry and the agri-industry in particular, whether you're involved in double tanks, whether you're involved in um, plant for dairy parlors or even meal bins. There's a little bit of, you know, unsure nature now in the marketplace itself. And because of that, these people are going to be affected as well. So not alone does it affect the farming community, the banks are concerned, but also the agri-community itself, in particular from the engineering side, they're all being affected by this issue. You explained to Revenue that farmers could already be slow to spend after a very tight year in 2023. The farming community have always been a community that have been involved in spending money. They've always been involved in when they make money, they spend it. And they've always been upgrading their yards to make sure they're appropriate for the current standards that are out there and to make sure that they're and sustainable going forward. This issue now has meant that there's been a pause in development, there's been a pause in projects, people are unsure, and clarity is required. And I'm hoping that when the Revenue Commissioners come before the committee, we'll get that clarity, and we'll hopefully get a pathway moving forward that people can then hopefully uh, claim down the vast that they're entitled on these projects. Like, the real issue here is that this, this um, proposal has been working since the mid or the early 1970s. Um, there's been no change to it. It's only the interpretation with the, with the revenue in the last few months has been the issue. So if there's a change in regulation or change in law, I could say, you know, that's what, what happened here. But the real issue is there's been no change. It's only been the interpretation in this actual act that's been the issue. And the revenue need to come forward and tell us exactly why they changed the interpretation because we need to get clarity for the farming community 
can get this decision reversed. Well, certainly we await an update there from the Revenue Commissioners regarding whether they'll appear before the committee or not. Some very positive developments. It's been widely welcomed, the announcements that China is again open for Irish beef. I know there have been a lot of setbacks, but I understand you would warmly welcome the developments regarding access to the Chinese market for Irish beef. Yeah, look, this has been a really significant um, step forward this week. Uh, the Taoiseach, Martin Hayden, who is the junior minister, and also senior minister, Chan McConnell, who the premier from um, China in the last few days, really positive engagement on his two-day trip. And the feedback has been really positive regarding the beef industry. And it's been something we've been talking about and talking to the Chinese um, officials about, whether it was at committee level or even personally, to get some major movement in this issue itself. I just want to welcome it. I think it's a major step forward. It also gives confidence to the market and confidence to the actual beef uh, industry in Cork in particular, which is a really significant driver in, in, the, in the beef industry. We have so many beef plants around the place, but also we have so many uh, beef farmers that need that actual support itself. So this is a really good day for us. Now we need to build on it. Getting board beer it has to be a real driver in the marketplace so we can build our market share in what is one of the biggest, biggest beef markets in the world. And I think that's really important to make sure we get in there now again and rebuild our market share there. And it has the potential really to be a major driver in our, in our beef industry. That sounds excellent indeed. And Tim, just to conclude, something very important, the number of places available for Irish students, Cork students, Munster students to study veterinary medicine as opposed to hundreds of uh, younger Irish people going to Hungary or Poland to study veterinary medicine. So I think... You are very actively engaged in monitoring and trying to promote an increase in the number of veterinary places available for students, younger people, wanting to study veterinary medicine. Ideally, those facilities to be available in Cork or at least Munster. Yeah, look, we've been pushing this issue about, um, about um, the veterinary college, the second veterinary college in, you know, on the island. And we've had really significant engagements with, you know, third-level institutions. I've been to UL, I've been to UCC. I've met the major major players in both organisations trying to move this project forward. Um, obviously, there's been um, a major change regarding the Irish approach to this. We have, unfortunately, over 600 people uh, studying abroad. I think the potential that we can actually have that in, our, in Ireland, in Irish campuses, is very much there. And now we're building towards, hopefully making sure we can have that second campus or second institution that's going to be involved in making sure we have a veterinary course in Ireland. And it seems a really significant driver for our rural economy. We need vets, both big and small animal vets in particular. We also need vets to make sure that our agri-industry is well monitored, to make sure we can actually export to places like China and everywhere else, because they're very, very important to that um, line of, you know, of um, quality control. But this project is moving forward and it's about making sure now we actually move forward to actually get to the next level. And that would be to actually identify colleges that are going to be the colleges of choice to make sure we actually have that program set up. And I just think the progress we made in the last six months has been great. Now we need to move forward to make sure we actually can deliver and announce a program hopefully starting in September, October. 
Thank you very much indeed, Senator Tim Lombard Finnegale, for uh, talking to the Dairy Gould Farm Talk programme about those very important issues. Thank you, Tim, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. Mr. Michael Connolly, Chagas Dry Stock Advisor and Environmental Lead Advisor, Coronet Skibarine, West Cork, joins us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. First of all, Michael, welcome to the programme. So, upcoming events, Michael. Yes, indeed, John. Thank you for having me on the farming programme this week. There are a number of conferences. Uh, we have the annual West Cork Tillage Conference in the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon. Uh, on Tuesday the 23rd of January at 7.30. The speakers are local tillage advisor Michael McCarthy and Kieran Collins and uh, John Dunn from Gold Crop. And, you know, topics such as we had maybe poor winter crops with the extreme rainfall we've had all the autumn and, and maybe the severe weather now. So topics like that, crop rotation, nutrient management, planning, um, uh, the new fertiliser register, spring seed availability and IASIS points are available as well incidentally for attending that um, that, that conference. So that's in, in Bandon on Tuesday evening. Our local forestry advisor, Padre O'Leary in McCroom is running forestry clinics on, the, on Wednesday the 24th of January in the McCroom office. So look if you're interested in, in having a chat with Padre there on any aspects of forestry, maybe especially that new one hectare uh, forestry scheme that's being promoted, just contact the office in McCroom or 264 to, to book in. Um, Noreen O'Reilly, advisor, education officer and advisor at East Cork, asked me to mention that she's still recruiting for a part-time green cert levels 5 and 6. Uh, of course, her staff uh, duty relief, arms succession and TAMS grants. Um, women's fans grants and all that running between the Mallow and the Fermoy offices so maybe contact Noreen directly there on her mobile 87 um, the other conferences I should mention then are the, the sheep conferences we have two lowland sheep conferences uh, one in Athlone on the 23rd at 7pm and two days later in Donegal on the 25th, the Lowland Conferences are on. And the Hill Sheep Conference will be a little bit later on the 15th of February in Glindalock in in Wicklow. Now, one other thing I'll just mention as well that's open at the moment before I maybe forget it, is Tagish and FBD are sponsoring environmental awards for farmers with a First prize of €10,000, which is not to be sneezed at, and uh, eight runners-up prizes of uh, €2,500, and there's €30,000 in the pot altogether, I think. So uh, there's a 29th of February deadline there, and you can look up www.tagis.ie environmental awards, and, um, you know, it's it's to promote uh, good good farming practice, and, and uh, well, if you can show that you're doing a good job on your farm, uh, you could collect this prize money. So well worth um, maybe having having a look at that. That sounds fine. So those are the main upcoming events, I understand, Michael. That's that's it, I think. Now I'm just looking at my list here. I think that's that's about everything that, that, that's happening uh, at the moment. Um, what, what I was going to talk about there, John, as well, of course, is, is the sheep census form, um, before I forget it, that's 
um, you know, it is very important that each sheep farmer gets that form filled and returned to the department by the end of January if you're doing it on paper and by mid-February if you're doing it online. And the online mechanism is probably the best way of doing it now if you have your egg food login. And, and, and that and uh, that is compulsory for all sheep farmers and very important for compliance with, for example, the sheep improvement scheme, which I, I just want to mention as well. We have a lot of clients in, in West Cork that are in the sheep improvement scheme and, you know, there are various tasks there to be completed. The one that might cause a little bit of a problem between 23 and 24 the calendar dates is scanning because... The scheme year started on the 1st of February, uh, 23, year one of this new sheep improvement program, but it's finishing on the 31st of December, 23. So anyone that's scanning would need to have a scanning date between the 1st of February, 23, and the 31st of December, 23. Uh, If you scanned in January last year, for example, 23, that was in the previous year, so you wouldn't want to be scanning in January this year again. So I think most farmers are aware of it, but um, this is the time, obviously, when the scanning is happening, and um, it's just important to get that right. And, you know, whatever tasks you have there, you have mineral supplementation of yours post-mating and uh, of lambs pre-weaning and meal feeding of lambs. You have um, fecal egg testing, um, fly strike control, uh, whichever test you you were allocated, just make sure that you're you're completing those because the inspections are are ongoing. And of course, the other requirement was to purchase a genotyped ram in either 23 or 24 or 25, and maybe subsequently again depending on the size of the flock. So just to be aware of all those uh, requirements. Uh, but the sheep census is the one I would stress most. Don't put it away. I just know over the years as an advisor. You know, farmers get those farms maybe over the Christmas period. The, the recording date is the 31st of December. So it came in the post there maybe just before Christmas. And, you know, out of sight, out of mind. If, if you put the farm away and you're not doing it online, it might go into a drawer somewhere and get forgotten about. So that's an important one to get done before the end of the month. And just watch your figures and your breeds, you're asked questions about, you know, have you lowland sheep, what breed are they, have you hill sheep, have you crossbred sheep, and just get your numbers right and, and try and make sure you have sufficient numbers to cover your your farming requirements for stocking rate maybe for some farmers and also for the, that you have enough eligible sheep for the sheep improvement uh, scheme. Human and animal welfare in this freezing weather Human safety, first of all, we, we know statistically um, that there are far too many farm accidents. And this time of the year now, with this freezing weather, um, you know, you have slippery farmyards. Certain areas maybe don't get the sun. Any area that doesn't get the sun at the moment is going to stay frozen all day. Uh, so farmers just need to be very careful about trips and falls. And, and the average farmer age, I suppose, is pushing up on 60 all the time. Uh, there's none of us getting any younger and you know as we get older we we slow down and um, we we need to be conscious of that so trips and falls dangers around livestock cows calving obviously we're coming into a very busy time now on all farms particularly on dairy farms i suppose but suckler farms as well and and sheep farmers that will have yours lambing and stuff like that but uh, just general awareness about safety animals and machinery are dangerous we have 
bed statistics on farms. We don't hear the full story because, you know, if it was an accident in the workplace, it would be reported straight away and, you know, the, the stats are there, whereas on a farm, unless it's a very serious accident, a lot of the time it doesn't even get, get a mention. So just from the human point of view, first of all, extreme care to be taken in, in this cold weather. Uh, hopefully the, the cold snap is going to come to an end shortly, but while it lasts, we must be careful. Just on the animal side of it, then, obviously, animals need water. And uh, in these conditions, you know, in sheds, water pipes can be frozen and remain frozen for a period. So just monitor your water situation. And it's a good idea to have a reserve, maybe, of water stored in tanks or, you know, some kind of container for, for backup. And, and um, you know, be prepared to, to transport water if necessary with, with, with care, of course. But um, cattle and sheep, I suppose, that are on concentrate in particular will need more water. Cattle and sheep that are on wettish silage won't need much at all. You know, we have found over the years in Paris, like on research on that, that they, they actually do with very little water. But water has to be offered to stock that are inside. And even the animals that are outside as well, and sheep in particular, just check, you know, streams may be completely frozen over where the sheep are, uh, or there may not be a stream at all, and um, just monitor that situation as well when, when the, the hard weather uh, persists. It can vary from day to day, you know, farmers have said to me, and I say it myself, I, I do a bit of part-time farming, that, you know, one day it might actually be, a, there might be a slight trickle on the water supply and it might be okay and you think it's fine, but the next day when you come back it's frozen solid. And once it freezes in this kind of weather, when we're going down to, I think it was about minus six this morning where I'm living, um, you know, so it, 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 the temperatures won't allow the thaw to happen. And um, the other thing to say is, is elderly neighbours as well, you know, we're all living in the countryside and just maybe to check on the elderly neighbours if they're in our locality to make sure that they are okay and um, that, that water is okay for them. And heating, heating oil, I, I know... I've heard a few clients telling me that their their heating oil has frozen um, in this extreme weather, and, and that's that's an awkward one then when you can't heat your house, you know. So just again on the human welfare side, just check out people that maybe particularly elderly people on their own that they're okay in this extreme weather. Main aspects of the sheep welfare scheme. Yeah, well, the sheep welfare scheme is actually they've changed the name now, the Department of the Sheep Improvement Scheme, and. The good news is that the payments are rising. I think they were €10 euro in the old sheep welfare scheme and went to 12 and I think it's going to €20, euro hopefully, for, for this year, which is, you know, on €100, euros, that would be €2,000, which is, is a nice payment. And um, if your flock is predominantly a lowland flock, you know, with, with Suffolk's or, or Charlie sheep or um, Texel's lowland yours, uh, you have Category A, you have to choose one task between um, lameness control, minerals, um, pre-mating, or fecal egg testing. And category B, you pick either scanning and recording the results or the fly strike control. And I outlined, I outlined the, the issue with the scanning there already today, so we need to watch that one. Uh, the hill sheep farmers then have category A, they can... Uh, feed yews, minerals, post-mating, for maybe two months post-mating, a long-acting mineral, meal-feeding lambs, pre-weeding, uh, or parasite control. 
the the fecal egg testing as category A. And category B could be either scanning or feeding lambs minerals pre-weaning. So, for example, hill sheep farmers there could select minerals for yours post-mating and for lambs pre-weaning and cover A and B that way if they weren't scanning. Um, most farmers are scanning, though, and uh, if they are, it, 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 uh, it's a suitable thing to do. Very good from a management point of view to identify yours that are carrying singles, twins, triplets, or more importantly, yours that are barren and dry so that you can eliminate those maybe from the flock and give the yours with the multiple lambs uh, uh, a higher level of, uh, of feeding coming close to lambing because in the last eight weeks before lambing, you know, a twin bearing yo or a triplet bearing yo will need serious supplementation um, to be able to ward off twin lamb disease and, and other uh, nutritional problems. So scanning is a very useful management tool. As I say, not suitable for all farmers. Some hill farmers, you know, if, hit, if the sheep are out in the commonage at this stage, you may not want to bring them in for another while. And, uh, you know, the scanning window will pass. But um, as I say, people in that sheep improvement scheme are well aware of their tasks, uh, well aware of their sheep numbers, so they're maintaining numbers. Very important, if you have 100 sheep in from the scheme, you must maintain that number. You know, um, if you always have to be culled, uh, you must replace them, and you can't replace them with this year's lambs. The replacements must be at least from the previous year. And, uh, you know, breeding sometimes breeding those younger hoggets will be a good idea as well to boost output rather than waiting uh, until they're two years of age just uh, to have a higher replacement rate and i suppose with my environmental hat on to be more carbon efficient we have to i suppose as farmers we can't get too far away from that all the time you know we need to be carbon efficient if we're suckler farmers we want the cow or the heifer to calve down at two years of age or pretty close to it if we're sheep farmers, we want the the, the yo uh, to land down uh, uh, as young as possible, well, within reason and, and with good management. So, I suppose we're we're under the microscope really on, on on our carbon emissions. There'll be no escaping that down the road, and um, each individual farmer can do a certain amount there. We have the signpost program, of course, running in, in Tigerish at the moment as well. We have two signpost advisors in in, in West Cork. Um, Anthony Deneen and John Crowley, as there are in East Cork as well. So that's a very important part of of, of um, the, the Tagish programme at the moment, the, the whole signpost and the environmental aspect of farming and how we we'll reduce our carbon emissions, whether we're dairy or beef or sheep farmers, that we, we, we have to reduce our, our carbon emissions. And, and it's good all around because it's good for the environment and... It's generally good for the farmer's profit as well. It's leaving more money. It's reducing maybe the amount of chemical fertilizer that has to go out. And um, we're maximizing, um, we'll say, efficient output uh, with, with, with a lower cost system. It bears a second mention, farm safety in general. How you walk, John, and even the footwear, you know, we can be wearing maybe a pair of boots or Wellington that have gone past their sell-by date. And the tyre the, the thread on them isn't good, we'll put it that way. And um, this frosty weather, we'll find that out. And unfortunately, you know, a trip for a farmer can be fatal because if you trip in close proximity, proximity to 
you know, cattle in particular, or maybe a cow after calving or a bullock or something like that, that can scare the animal and they can lash out and, and you can have a terrible accident as a result of the farmer flipping in, 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 in close proximity to, to cattle in particular. And uh, even sheep as well, you know, rams have been known to, to make, make a go at a farmer if, if they're cornered or even yours. And uh, particularly cows after calving, which are something that, you know, people know that bulls are dangerous and always watch out for that, but cows can be just as dangerous after calving in particular. And we need to take, take a lot of care, especially as we get older. We're, as I say, our, our reflexes have slowed down and um, we just need, to be, to be conscious of that. And if a cow calves, then you need to tag the calf. You know, if you're on your own there, you need to be very careful. You know, you don't go into the pen with the cow and the calf with your tagger. You, you, you have to isolate that calf into a safe pen. Uh, because if you go tagging the calf, the cow is going to come for you and you're leaning over the calf. You have no defense whatsoever. So just to think, I suppose, the five P's really come into it as well. We've probably all heard of that. You know, prior preparation prevents poor performance. You know, when we're going at all these tasks, I think our biggest enemy sometimes is rushing. You know, maybe part-time farmers that are working off farm, they need to get a task done when they get home from work and it's a bit of a rough job uh, to, to get it done. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Michael Connolly, Chagas Dry Stock Advisor and Environmental Lead Advisor with uh, Chagas Corney Skibbereen. Okay, John, thank you very much. You're very welcome. And that's the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to everyone who contributed to this week's Farm Talk programme. Barry O'Mahony, 96FM and C103, Head of News. Murray Tuig, 96FM and C103, News Reporter and News Reader. And also creator of the regular Farm Talk podcasts. The Farm Talk programme, 7am to 8am Saturday mornings and 10pm to 11pm on Wednesday evenings. Podcasts available on C103 homepage shortly after the live broadcast on Saturday morning between 7 and 8. A very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes biotin, yeast and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.